The summer of 2011, it was when the last Harry Potter movie was released and when Nancy Wake died. Both events are oddly connected in my mind. In an earlier summer of 2003, I was on a train in London, heading out to interview Nancy Wake. This train is for Strawberry Hill and Richmond. We'd received a call from an Irish hotel manager in the city. He had told us of this 90-year-old New Zealand woman who had lived in his hotel and who he felt would make a great interviewee. She had recently had to leave the hotel and move into a retirement home in Richmond known as the Star and Garter. This catered for retired military personnel. Around me on the train, people were reading the latest Harry Potter story, especially young women. While those women were reading about casting spells with magic wands, Nancy, at the same age, was killing a man with her bare hands. I was after him in the bushes. It'd be raining, I thought, oh, that's good, he won't hear me coming. But actually I must have made a bit of a noise and he turned around and caught me. But I gave him the thing there. The chub, the yeah. chub. Yeah, and he just dropped dead. But I got such a shock that I almost dropped dead myself. I couldn't believe I did it. Nancy Wake's life inspired the novel Charlotte Grey by Sebastian Fox and a movie of the same name with Kate Blanchett. You did your best! Don't say that! You don't know what I've done. You don't know who I am. You don't even know my name. Nancy was born in New Zealand in 1912. Her father, who was a journalist, moved the family to Australia when she was one and then he left them soon afterwards. Nancy ran away from home twice. And then when she was older, a small inheritance from an aunt allowed her travel to America. She described life there as like a party, where they made grog, as she called it, in a bathtub. She said she left the United States hoarse after all the singing and carousing. She found her way to 1930s Europe where she worked as a journalist. One day she went to Vienna and saw something which would affect the course of her life. She was in a square there where she saw an enormous wheel. It had been set up by the local Nazis and Jews were being strapped to it and being tortured. Nancy headed for France and Joan Lepin, where she met who she described as a charming, sexy and amusing man named Henri Fioca. He was rich, and although she says she was impressed with the money he had, there was more to it, and she married him in 1939. In 1940, France was invaded and Nancy worked as an ambulance driver. She never seemed far from a party, and one evening she was in a bar in Marseille where she met a Scottish officer. He had developed an escape route for resistance and downed airmen across the mountains into Spain. 
By this time, Nancy had perfect French and she agreed to help him as a courier and her husband Henri helped with money. Nancy took a flat separate from her marital home, ostensibly to entertain lovers, but actually as a safe house for men on the run. Sometimes she accompanied the men up the mountains. The Germans couldn't come up and get us and they couldn't send the police dogs up there because they couldn't climb up from the rocks. So we used to be there looking after the people who wanted to escape from France. And if we'd been having a big party, we used to stand up on the Pyrenees and throw all the empty bottles and cans down on the Germans to their police dogs. <laughs> but we did that for over two years. In the autumn of 1942, the Germans occupied the south of France, Vichy France, and the Gestapo started looking for this elusive female agent who they nicknamed White Mouse. Her husband advised her to flee to England. But before she could escape, she was picked up, beaten and interrogated. After four days, she was surprised to be released into the hands of her resistance group leader, a Belgian who called himself O'Leary. He told the French police that he was a friend of the Vichy Premier, that Nancy was his mistress, and the reason her stories didn't tally was because she was cheating on her husband. The police chief fully understood and set her free. In 2003, when I interviewed her, she was in her room in the nursing home in South London. She was lying in bed wearing a pink nightie, frustrated at being stuck in on a nice day. The stories she told came between her talking about tennis player Tim Henman on the TV and a new pair of black trousers on a nearby chair. When I asked her about her jewellery, it reminded her of a story about a time she was trying to escape from France to Spain. With her was the man who had sprung her from prison, O'Leary. I love your ring. Can I ask you about your ring? That's an amethyst. It's beautiful. I had a lot of jewellery and that's the only thing that's left. You've sold the rest, have you? No, I was in a train and somebody came and said the, uh, they're going to stop the train at the next station. And um, O'Leary said to me, we'll have to jump. So we jumped out of the train when it was just slowing down and went up to the top of the mountains there and I realised I'd lost my handbag. And a man, one of the men, went down. He said, I'll go and get it. And he never came back. So that was it. Uh, yeah, he never came back and yet uh, that was very sad. Nancy finally got to Britain and was sent to Scotland for eight months to train to be a spy. We had to learn to do a lot of things. I remember that I passed them all except one where we had to try and rescue a man who was in the water, try and get him into the boat. Well, I laughed so much that I upset the boat. And the man who, was, who owned the boat said that until he met me, he'd never been in the water. <laughs> so, <laughs> Back in France, Nancy's husband Henri was supposed to follow her to Britain, but he was captured, tortured and killed. Nancy describes this as the saddest day of her life. In April 1944, having completed her training, Nancy was parachuted back into France to prepare the ground for D-Day. As she came down, her parachute caught in a tree. The local resistance fighter who met her said, 
I hope that all the trees in France bear such beautiful fruit this year. Legend has it that the Allied parachute drops to the French resistance, which contained guns, ammunition and radios, also included parcels for Nancy, with silk stockings and Elizabeth Arden face cream. Nancy's job was to organise local resistance fighters, 7,500 of them. She helped ambush convoys, blow up railway lines and pass messages. She describes her greatest feat in the war as that bike ride. Our wireless operator had lost his codes. I think personally that he was so scared he buried them and couldn't remember where he buried them. But I didn't say that to the officials. And I thought, God, will I have to get these things. But anyway, I made myself very big and span and everything. And I went to the hairdresser and I had the thing here. And I remember that when I went to go through, I said to the officer in charge, do you want to search me? And he said, no, mademoiselle, you carry on. So I got through without anything. (laughs) And how far did you cycle? 250 miles. I was a mess and I wet my pants and I never want to see a bicycle again. To do her job properly, Nancy had to move around German-occupied France, passing through checkpoints and railway stations, for example. The best way to do this was on the arms of a German. Some of them were very good-looking and they were pretty lonely, you know, some of these blokes. I would go over and I, I always said the same thing. My light is not working, could you give me a light? And they'd give me a light. And then I'd say, you're German, aren't you? They, although they were in cities, we could see that they were German. And he said, yes, have you been to Germany? I said, well, I've been to Berlin, but I didn't like Berlin much. I'd give him a date for four days afterwards, never turn up, and it always worked. <laughs> that was exactly what I wanted. I wanted a German who would be my bodyguard. I mean, nobody would stop me going out when there was a bloody German walking beside me. They, did, they, did, they wouldn't know that it was nothing to do with me. You were crazy. Yeah, crazy. Yeah, I'm mad. Mad as a hatter. Weren't you mad? <laughs> and did you do it for the excitement or for, for a sense no. of patriotism or what did you no, do? No, 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 no. I did not do it for excitement. I did it to get the bug of the Germans up. Nancy also interrogated enemy spies, including one particular woman. The local fighters had caught her, raped her, but considered it dishonourable to kill her and wouldn't do so until Nancy ordered them to. Nancy's described as playing hard and fighting hard. One attack on the Gestapo's headquarters in Montluçon killed 38 people. She described it in a letter as the most exciting sortie I ever made. I entered the building by the back door, raced up the stairs, opened the front door along the passageway, threw in my grenades and ran like hell. It was exciting, but was she ever afraid? I've never been afraid, never. But I'll tell you something. If this light goes, I turn all the lights off, I wouldn't change a bulb. I'm scared stiff. (laughs) If the iron doesn't work, I turn off all the electricity again. I know about guns and things, but I don't know anything about electricity. So, as a matter of fact, I'm a coward. After the war, Nancy said things fizzled out and she missed the excitement. She remarried, this time an RAF officer, John Forward. She had no children with either John or Henri. Nancy returned to Australia where she stood unsuccessfully for election. 
Her husband John died in 1997 and in 2001, when she was in her late 80s, Nancy returned to London to live in a hotel that had been run by a French resistance fighter. Most mornings she could be found in the hotel bar. When she's asked about the sadness in her life, she mentions the death of her husband Henri. But when I asked about happy moments... When I open a new bottle of gin, I support Mr Gordon. I'm not, I don't support the minister, I support Mr Gordon. <laughs> Nancy died on Sunday, August the 7th, 2011. Her ashes will be scattered in Montluçon in France next year. Here's the thing, and it gets back to the young women on the train reading the Harry Potter books. While Nancy's life became more placid, the Harry Potter books became darker and introduced readers to a world that resembled the one that Nancy fought against. The evil Lord Voldemort spoke of non-wizards the way Nazis spoke of non-Aryans. It is Miss Burbage's belief that muggles are not so different from us. To her, the mixture of magical and muggle blood is not an abomination, but something to be encouraged. The Ministry of Magic was like the government of the Third Reich. As your new Minister for Magic, I promise to restore this temple of tolerance to its former glory. Therefore, beginning today, each employee will submit themselves for evaluation. After the war, Nancy Wake was awarded medals by the British, French and American governments. The Australians delayed until 2004, partly because she refused an honour from them. When she was asked, she said, The last time there was a suggestion of that, I told the Australian government they could stick their medals where the monkey stuck his nuts. (laughs) 